Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative turned marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. We have two ears, two eyes, and one mouth, and it is said that we should use them in that ratio. On episode 26 of The B-Side, I speak to Simon Lister, an internationally recognized photographer, motorbike enthusiast, and highly awarded audio engineer. He is co-founder and creative director of Squeaky Clean Studios, a music and sound company that creates soundtracks for global ad campaigns, documentaries, and feature films. We chat about Simon's great passion for photography and how he spent the last 13 years capturing breathtaking photographs and film of some of the most fascinating places on Earth, and doing it all on his motorbike where he goes off the beaten track to access areas not often seen by travelers he chats about his work for unicef as a global brand photographer and director of their international brand launch commercial this powerful work led to him featuring in the netflix and canon documentary tales by light then we switch gears to chat about commercial music and the importance of sonic branding and how brands are missing a trick if they're not thinking about audio as an equally important tool for building brands and long-term brand awareness simon is an incredibly amazing guy quietly shaping the future of commercial audio and creating awareness of what's really going on in the world's underrepresented communities i thoroughly enjoyed this chat and i know you will too cheers recording right now. It's quite ironic because I'm in one of Sydney's, if not Australia's, if not the the Southern Hemisphere's best uh, recording and sound studio and at Squeaky Clean here, and I'm speaking to Simon Lister, and I'm using my own gear, which I find really quite <laughs> interesting. In in it's almost like I'm water. You. It's the opposite of that saying, "Water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink." <laughs> I have all the the water metaphorically in terms of sound gear you could possibly imagine. We can pick up a guitar. I can pick up a guitar. <laughs> I will post some of the guitars to my Instagram page. But you've got all the coolest guitars you could possibly imagine up here, and I did take a really shitty photo of it because Simon is also a, an incredibly good photographer and we will talk about that. So over to you, Simon. Sorry, mate. That was a pretty clumsy intro. But no, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Hi. How are you yeah, good. Thanks, man. Thanks for being on the podcast, mate. And it's so been welcome. A, yeah. No, fortuitous series here. of events that have brought us together, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, advertising and obviously, you know, doing ads together and things. So, yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about you, where you're from, give us a bit of an yeah. overview of your background. Gosh. You can probably tell by my accent that I was born in New Zealand. And then after school, I got a job with Broadcasting House Radio New Zealand in Wellington. I was actually at the time trying to get a job at Television New Zealand to be a cameraman because I sort of was thought, oh, photography, camera work, all that kind of thing. Um, so I tried to get a job at TVNZ. At that time, they didn't have a position. They said, why don't you just try Radio New Zealand? They're just looking for some engineers kind of over there. So I had an interview and I got a job there. And it kind of all started there. My my influence through my whole life was probably from my father. He, he was um, a lover of riding motorcycles. We grew up on a farm. I had a 
dirt bike and he loved photographies and he always had the, like the new Canon. And I, was, I sort of used to play around with that sometimes and borrow that. So Canon, was, what, what, what was it? What are obviously, we're talking. It was a Canon A1. A1, wow, we're going way yeah, back. Way back, right? In the <laughs> 80s, early 80s. So, and then um, also he, was, he loved music. So he sort of forced me at a very young age to, to play the piano and have to go through all that lesson sort of thing. But yeah, so I had music, photography, and motorbikes sort of. What a great combination. It was a great lot of, load of hobbies, you know, and that yeah. was sort of derived from my, my dad. And I'd just been putting out some photographs of him in England actually riding motorbikes when he was sort of 18 years old. So dad was from England and yes. then migrated over, yes, over my to New Zealand. migrated over to New Zealand. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. We've got a bit of a connection there. I'd love to pick you up on that. I mean, obviously the European aspect of New Zealand, um, largely English or Scottish, my on my grandmother's side, they were Scots and they came over from Nova Scotia, right. New Scotland yeah, yeah, yeah. in Canada. And they were in New Zealand for a generation and uh, they lived in, in and around Hamilton and Auckland. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was born in Hamilton. Oh, really? Isn't that funny? Isn't yeah. it funny? Yeah. And, yeah. and they, they traveled across on a boat back in those days. Yeah. Um, and then you know, we went Africa and all through, you know, around to India, then, then down to to New Zealand. Yeah. So it was a big, big journey for them back in the early 60s. I was born in 67. Um, but yes. Yeah, so 67, mate. Gee whiz. I know. Oh, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. Um, but yeah, so at probably at the age of 19, got a job with Radio New Zealand. I worked with them for only a year and a half, funny enough, but um, I just probably learned so much at that time. I operated in studios there, outdoor broadcasts, we were doing the news service, and we were in a room receiving the latest news from around the world, recording to tape to tape and give that to the news to to tell the rest of New Zealand. So it's kind of a really cool job and you'd learnt a lot of things. And then while I was there, I got a job with Marmalade Recording Studios, which was at that time kind of quite recognised as one of the the more popular music studios of New Zealand. They had Dave Dobbin, The Slice of Heaven, oh, and yeah, Dancing yeah. Toys went through there, Annie, Crum- Annie Crummer's album. She did that, The Herbs, Partey, Mario Club. So all those classics of the New Zealand bands came through these studios. Um, while I was there in the back room doing advertising work with Saatchi's and Saatchi's and some of the other agencies. But Saatchi's at that time, this would have been, what, the late 80s, so early 90s, they were kind of recognised as, one of the top agencies the, the in, yeah. in the world. They're just winning the, some big awards. And I was just lucky enough to be in that back room doing yeah. doing the soundtracks for their ads and commercials. And it, I've been doing commercials ever since. Ever since? Yeah. I just want to pick you up on Radio New Zealand. And when you were getting those tapes and you were editing them, you started in analog. Yeah. And But you were listening to real stories from yes. people from around the world. Even though you wanted to be a photographer or a conveyor of the visual medium yeah yeah what was it about the richness of that experience listening to the stories from all over the world yeah i can give you a quick little one there like even sitting in the newsroom there and you're the one that actually grabs the telephone these old analog telephones and you'll have a correspondent on the other side of the world or a news reporter at the scene of an attack or a, an emergency situation and they're giving their story over the phone and you put that phone literally on a, on a little mechanical device that then converts it to tape, on a, yeah, on a real yeah. tape machine. So we'll be in this room listening to these 
oh my gosh, these epic events that are happening. And you've got all these news people in the room listening to it as well. I'll tell you a quick one little story. I had this <laughs> Go for it. Um, reported, reporting on a plane that had lost its undercarriage at the, at the, and it was about to, to land at the airport. And you can hear them going, it's coming down now. It's coming down. Oh, oh I think it's going to crash. I don't know. It's coming down. It's coming down. And it, it's landed. And then everybody <laughs> roared with laughter. I mean, sort of oh, a man, cheer I'm and stuff like that. Right and then it's just, it's, yeah. just, it's just quite exciting because you're yeah, right yeah. amongst this liveness and just, yeah, yeah events. And, and again, we were in other rooms putting together like documentaries, but with audio, you know, so we'll be interviewing, um, we, we interviewed Peter Brake, a famous New Zealand photographer who had photographed some photos in, in like the Himalayas and he had this monsoon girl famous photograph. But yeah, even just meeting him and just being on the other side of the glass, hearing his stories. Yeah. So after Radio New Zealand, you went into the ad game. You haven't looked back since. You've been creating audio tracks, jingles, yeah. uh, doing composing, um, sound engineering, visuals to life. bringing visuals to life with sound. with sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I have always loved this term. It might be quite topical because I think it's a, a very important theme for all of us. It's, you know, we're born with two ears, two eyes and one mouth. And the trick is to use them in that ratio. And I really, what I love about your work and what you're doing is you do that. I think the world is filled with people who like to talk, you know, they like to, but to listen listen and to observe and to understand and to use empathy and to, and to really see people, you know, and the situations they're going through. I mean, even my trips, my photography trips, a lot of that is me learning and observing other cultures, Mm -hmm. other ways of life. Um, and it, it makes me feel like, hey, maybe the way I'm doing things is not always right. You know, you always think that you're doing the right thing all the time because you've been taught a certain way. But you start to, you know, your eyes open up, your ears open up, and you start to hear things. You see things. You go, wow, that's really expanding and blowing my mind here on the way things have been done. And um, definitely with, with with sound, I love bringing moving visuals to life and having the viewer watch something and they are immersed into the moment and they're not going, oh, what's that sound effect's been used here? No, they're actually hearing the sound that relates to the visuals and it all becomes one. Mm. We won't get into diegetic or non-diegetic sound or anything like that. Uh, We probably could, both being uh, sound film buffs. I do love sound as well. But um, who have been some of your, I guess, um, biggest influences as far as creating that visual sound, for lack of a better word? I had, uh, even back at Marmalade, back in, in New Zealand, I got the opportunity to to work with some incredible composers. And I learned so much with them because I was their programmer, their engineer. I learned so much from the way they create music and how they bring it to life. I had the opportunity to go to Skywalker Ranch. Oh, wow. Really? In yeah. San Francisco and Lucas Valley. Well, if you watch Star Wars without the sound, it's a completely different experience. It's far less rewarding, that's for sure. <laughs> so that's a little story. Because while I um, was in a studio here in Australia, I just for fun, Star Wars Episode One came out or, the, or they released the trailer. And I watched the trailer and I thought, wow, this looks amazing. But I thought, the sound on the trailer, I reckon I could do better. (laughs) So what I did, I took the sound off and I recreated the whole soundtrack to the trailer. 
um, it's actually on YouTube. And I got Lee Perry, who's a yeah, quite yeah, a famous yeah. um, voiceover artist here in Australia, to do all the voices on it. I got my wife to be Queen Amidala, and I recreated all the sound design, so the sounds of the pods, um, the TIE fighters, the, the lightsabers, and then I recut the music from episode one into this trailer because they used a piece of music that was on one of the older Star Wars movies, which I thought was a bit strange. I thought they would have used some of the new music. So I did that, and then I got the opportunity to travel to Skywalker Ranch, and I met up with a guy there, and I showed it to him, <laughs> what I'd done. And um, it's Quite interesting if you got a chance or opportunity to watch. Cool. It. Would you share that with if it's on YouTube? Yeah, it's on you, YouTube. Yeah. yeah, share us, share the link. With Absolutely. Us. We'll yeah, pop it up. Um, so yeah, that was quite a, a fun oh, exercise. Amazing. I just did it yeah. for fun. Yeah, purely yeah. because I just love sound and yeah. love bringing things to life. And I thought, oh. I was just, I was, just, I guess I was disappointed by the sound that was on there. And it's funny, it's like because you're just so excited to see this trailer, and the, the visuals are amazing. And look, it was a great soundtrack; it was all great. But I was, I was, you were like, underwhelmed. I thought about, it. I thought, yeah, oh, I could do, yeah. I could do this. So why did they use that old music? You know, sort of things. So I, I'm give this a go. Is it John Williams who was the original composer? Of yes. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big shoes of film. I, I think it was more that they chose an older track, yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. using something from the from the new movie. In terms of other influences, you know, times, places, people, you know, who you spoke about your dad. I mean, and your your parents broadly. Yes. I mean, yeah, and and the wonderful lifestyle you've had the opportunity of living. Oh, growing uh, up on in, a farm. Growing up on a farm, I think. Having a motorbike, being able to just go around the, the paddock a thousand times a day, just going round and round and round, and just sort of perfecting, you know, riding in there. I was only, what, 11 or 12 on this motorbike. And then from that, I bought a bigger motorbike and something that could do more things. It could jump over trees and all that sort of stuff. So I started to, you know, get yeah. more into it. And my motorbike journey was influenced also by Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman with A Long Way Round. Which yes. is a TV series. Yeah, I caught a bit of that series, and I think you and McGregor, like yourself, is a. How do I define it? You can tear around you know, the bush, and yeah, but it's almost like the bike becomes the modern day camel, and it's a vehicle to explore, and you get to places the off the beaten track and yeah. find things that you wouldn't be able to otherwise do it. That's a big part of my life's journey as well is finding a love adventure. And finding ways, how can I get to some of these regions or some of these places on a motorbike? You know, so most of my journeys over the last sort of 13 years have been on a motorbike um, before sort of the UNICEF and the United Nations work. So I would go, okay, I want to go and take photographs over there and I want to ride a motorbike and do that research of finding a company that can look after me, like a, um, a guide and usually off-road. I love going off-road. I love being able to go up a mountain if I need to or go on dirt tracks. That's always been a big passion of mine is, is the journey there. And it's my challenge as well. I like not just sitting on a bus. I actually want to be out in it. You know, when you're on a motorbike, you can see all around you. You can smell everything that's going on. It's a little bit demanding on the body. And I kind of I like that sort of challenge because it plays from the places that i choose to go to like the Sahara Desert been in 47 degrees and up the Himalayas and been you know minus 10 degrees and snow on a motorbike I like to see how I cope in those conditions and saying that I've done it I guess what is innate in you that 
allows you to be able to do that because you talk about that so freely. Some people would see that as an incredible challenge. When I was young, about 25, just before I got married, my very close friend Kevin in New Zealand was a filmmaker and he asked me to come to have a trip on um, for World Vision. And it was to travel to Bangladesh and to Tanzania and Mozambique to do a stories on third world AIDS and a country that's just come out of war. This is my one of my first times in those kind of environments. I went along for the for the journey, for the job of doing the sound, and I experienced other worlds. And it just completely gave me um, or planted a seed in me going, wow, I want to do more of this. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, being in New Zealand or growing up in New Zealand, you are sheltered. We were very fortunate and lucky to be able to grow up on a farm. When I started to experience these other worlds, I thought, wow, I, I really got a, a passion for this and I want to immerse myself more to learn about it, to capture it, and then how can we show the people around me what I've seen when I get back. And that's what kind of was happening was you start to tell these stories after your trips and you start to show some photographs and then they everybody gets very interested and wants to know more. So then that sort of started me for doing, you know, photography more and having stories behind the photographs. And I guess the more trips you do, the more you get, the more of a gallery you sort of have and then people start to see those photos and so some of the places you've been to i'll just rattle them off it's like india morocco myanmar png thailand vietnam bangladesh mozambique tanzania south africa laos mongolia all through europe north america multiple times kyrgyzstan ethiopia lebanon do you have a favorite place i mean (laughs) and what are the commonalities between like you've seen a lot of people you've looked into their eyes and you've listened to them even though you probably couldn't understand any of the languages. I love being around people. I love uh, communicating and, and being with people. So all, all the countries that I've been to all have special moments, special memories. My first kind of adventure trip um, that I did on a motorbike and for photography was India. And that was that country really um, blew my mind. Yeah. Why? I, why? 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 It's just so different to what my home country was. My mum, she, I, I, not many people know about this. You triggered me with India <laughs> because mm. my mum said something similar. She said it was the, the sights, the sounds. People either lose their minds or they absolutely have some form of awakening. Yeah. My mum followed a guru, Guru Maharaji. She was a premi yeah. uh, because his name was Prem Rawat. We were part of the Divine Light Mission. She lived in India for two on two occasions, I think, before I was born, and then she followed him around when she was over here. Some of my fondest memories you talk about sight and sound were when he came over and he had these um, festivals, I don't know, in the south of Queensland, and, and one was like a water festival, and I've really wanted to try and recreate this because it was one of my earliest and most fondest memories. crowd of people all dressed in white, and they're dancing to this exotic music intertwined with modern Beatles music and so on. And I look up and I could see through them because I was probably about four. I can look up through these adults and I see this Indian guru sitting on a platform and he's manning these hoses. And I'm like, what's going to happen next? And this is really fun. And then 
each hose on these water cannons had a different colour. And then before you know it, everyone was in multicoloured garbs. And and it was the most amazing experience I could possibly imagine. It was like, that's the, the, I've never been to India, but that's the India, the picture of India that I've got in my mind. The depth of life. Is is very vast. It's huge, and I my first trip was on a, a raw Enfield motorcycle. Went round Rajasthan, India, and when you're on the roads, you get to see everything. You see funerals on the road. You see elephants on the road. You get cows who are gone all crazy running straight towards you. You got traffic coming on at you on your side of the road, coming the other way. <laughs> you, you experience everything, everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so exciting, and I, I love. I'm sort of a person that when I go. On a trip or a holiday, I don't sit beside the pool with a with a pina colada. I, I'd rather be. <laughs> oh, I can't see you doing that. <laughs> sleeping in a tent or roughing it up in a in a hut or being on a you know in a, in, in, in a community sort of style place, you know, in, a, in another world that's different. I want to experience the different things, you know. I'm, I love I love my life, but I'm, I, I don't need to go to another country to go and drive in, the, in, the, in a car or stay in a house. I want to go and experience their culture and their festivals, like the colour festivals. And, yeah, I just India just sparked it all off of me because I was so excited after that trip. I said to the tour operator, I said, oh, the guy who looked after the motorway, she said, oh, this is incredible. What's what's your favourite tour? And he said, oh, by far the Himalayas. I went, ah, the Himalayas. And he goes, that is that is where you want to go. And I said, book me in. So that that was my next trip. And yeah. I just, every year after that, I thought, I've got to do a trip every year for myself to immerse myself in these cultures, take my camera. If I can ride a motorbike, great, but otherwise just go. My favourite Country is, is, is it is a hard one, but I do have a bit of a calling to Bangladesh. Yeah. Bangladesh, I mean, I love India so much, and Bangladesh is, is a bit like a bit like India on steroids. <laughs> it's just like another whole level again, yeah. and it's just it's another law, noise level for again. You know, it's just there's <laughs> a billion people in your space and they're yeah, all busy, yeah. they're all doing something. It's exciting. There's so much visual to look at. There's so much to hear. It's 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 crazy. I don't know if I could live there full time for years, but you know, just having that one week, two week, three week, you know, in that in How that does it space. feel to be in that space? I guess you've got permission when you rock up and you've got a foot you've got a camera and you've got sound if if you had sound gear. I go to these places to challenge myself to capture an image that people will look at and go be emotionally challenged or, or change or want to do something, you know, towards what they're seeing. I, I think a lot of your work is quite intimate. You know, you're getting really close to these people mm. and you're looking deep into their eyes and you're finding commonalities. It creates a fabric of understanding. It's about creating a, a moment of being with a stranger, befriending somebody, and having an experience with that person in their culture and in their life. So I guess over the last 13 years, taking photographs, um, doing my little journeys, and because in the sound studio I have creatives and advertising agencies and directors all come in, we, we chat, we talk about our experiences and and um, with the photographs and that. David Nobe, um, yeah. Nobby, he saw my work. And he also had a relationship with UNICEF Global Office in, in New York um, with David Ahana and Angus Ingham. And he showed them my photographs. 
and they asked me to be um, a photographer but also a director to film their TV commercials for their new branding. Um, so they sent me around the world to Kyrgyzstan, Vietnam, Ethiopia, Lebanon, and Mexico. And then we filmed uh, a 90-second TV commercial with cut-downs, but we had Liam Neeson do the voiceover. We had Shakira do the Spanish. Angelique Cadreau, she's a, a well-known um, French singer from Africa, do the French. Um, so that that was an incredible project. It was just like amazing. You know, you had David Beckham share the ad on his Facebook and it got like 11 million, million views and Incredible. Day or something. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it just went boom. I can't even so, fathom that. I mean, it's just from insane. There, insane. Um, and then from that, um, Squeaky Clean, or Nylon Studios in those days, was doing the soundtrack to the series Tales by Light, which is a Canon Australia initiative. Yeah. And, and if, I'm, if I'm correct, the Tales by Light, your association, your association with that was as a photographer, right? You got in. I mean, you were doing the soundtrack, but then you got involved as a photographer. So, series one, series two, and series three, we did the soundtracks. When did they go? Hey, hang on a minute. This guy is one of the world's best photographers as well. (laughs) Well, I mean, you don't get into that series unless you're Um, pretty damn good. I mean, this is the best of the best, right? I mean, they they didn't know that at the time when they first started Mm, with us. So mm. we we were doing the sound music and all that. And I guess over the time, they started to see the photographs that I was doing and my, my story and the work that I was doing with UNICEF. So we, we did um, stories on child labour in Bolivia and Bangladesh. Um, and that was an amazing opportunity. UNICEF gave us um, Orlando Bloom to be part of that um, Bangladesh trip. And, yeah, we filmed that. Um, that was launched at the United Nations in the General Assembly, which was pretty cool. I find sometimes this can get a bit confronting, this topic, because as Westerners we are, we have the resources to be able to do this. But we have to do this mm. because otherwise we'd be wasting our resources. When I do you know what I mean? Like we wouldn't, and journey, who would share the voices of those who right. don't have the resources we, to do we it? We have the skill. Yeah. Um, so therefore a, it's a must that you do this. It's a must, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it really is. Well, it's so If you care people. about humanity, we're all from Africa. Yeah. We walked out of there 70,000 years ago. Yeah. We're all one race. Yeah. The borders are just nonsense. They make no sense. Yeah. You've drawn a line on a map. Who cares? Well, we're one race of people. We've changed because of sexual selection, time, and environmental circumstances, but we're one race genetically. And we, why not help our, our race, our one race? Why not? I mean, I'm getting all fluffy and... No, no, no. A bit nuts, I'm going a bit rogue, but it's the truth, right? Well, that's what I did. I, I, I mean, um, you know, it's always been on the heart, you know, doing a lot of these trips and that. And I go, you know, there was one day we went, I'm going to put a deposit down on this trip. I'm, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump over the line. I'm going to put my hand up. I'm going to put my foot front foot forward. I'm going to do this and not know what I'm about to get myself into. And it was taking that leap of faith and that little bit of a jump. And once I experienced that, it just opened a whole lot of my mind to going, this is not as hard as I thought. You know, if you, if you, you got to make sure you do it the right way and you, you're clever about doing it, I guess, but, um, depends. But, you know, we've all got these kind of bucket list things that we, we think about and go, oh, it'd be great to jump out of a plane or do a bungee jump or whatever. Do it. Actually take that action and actually 
try it and you'd be surprised. And that's what I did. I went, okay, I'm going to hire a motorbike overseas. I'm going to take my camera and I'm going to do this incredible adventure trip that I probably would, you know. And I, I just took that jump. Good on you. And yeah. um, that's that's how that kind of started for me with that India trip. And I you just put a deposit down, and I can't force them to do it. I don't know what I'm about to get myself into, but let's just see what happens. And would you say your purpose is to try and tell those stories of people who don't have it as good as we did, who didn't grow up on a farm with a motorbike? Um, well, I'm you know, finding, what, what's the purpose? What's the underlying yeah. purpose of what you're out there doing? At, what I've been learning is awareness. So many people don't know or it's not part of their world about other things that are happening on the world. And there's so many epic, unbelievable stories that we never hear about. Well, it's true. Like you look at the Australian media, for example, news, the news media, we're in the Asia Pacific. Mm. Uh, You would never notice that because most of the news we receive, if you go through mainstream channels, Mm. is European or Western-centric. This is the reaction I'm getting is – since Tales by Light and some Instagram, I've literally had thousands of messages. I probably get still 10 to 20 messages a day, basically saying, oh my God, I never knew this was happening. What can I do to help? That's and amazing. That's, that's the best reaction you can get. Yeah. Because you're telling a story that needs to be told and people are seeing a photograph or seeing a piece of content that emotionally stirs them to wanting to action and do something. So can I, how can I help? I can go in and take my camera in and film and, and make 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 content and stories and all that sort of stuff to bring to platforms like, say, Netflix or Instagram, which has a huge following of people to get these stories out. And, hey, maybe one of those people that see that stuff can go, hey, well, you know, I want to invest my time or resources or money into this what can i do you know yeah so so it's it's all there yeah yeah and i'm going i'm watching netflix and i'm going great series great documentaries great programs all about you know house renovations food programs i'm thinking like where's the david attenborough of of humanity right so for me i i want to now have a bit of a journey on creating stories and films on epic proportions of humanity of what's going on. Man, I'm living vicariously through you because we're both quite visual people as well as, and just listening to you, I can just see that I can just, you're just bringing such rich experiences to my mind, just listening to you. And if that's what you want to create through your work, then wow, that's, that's an effective medium by which to do it because it's really powerful. How would you combine the visual aspect as well as the audio aspect is my challenge to you? Like, cause the oh, sounds got, and the got, sights got, and the, yeah, I've got some yeah interesting thoughts and ideas. And it's that, that's the thing I think during COVID. I was lucky enough to work with the United Nations. We, I, I did a film for them for their 75th anniversary um, for the UN 75 project, and that was played in the in the United Nations there for them. Um, and then out of that has started a conversation to think about the power of, of content and, and, you know, storytelling and stuff like that. So we've been researching and creating thoughts and ideas, you know, towards that and then hopefully – Hopefully that will grow um, this year. So it's this year we're sort of planning and trying to get that on board while we can get the opportunity to hopefully travel at some stage and, and do this. 
that's a good little segue. We might pivot and shift gears somewhat quickly to the more um, <laughs> domestic, <laughs> um, everyday things. What are you currently working on? Like, what keeps you busy now? Yeah. Um, from a day to day perspective. We're, we're very busy. So um, you merged with Nylon. Well, you were Nylon and you merged with Squeaky Clean in 2019. Yes. You've got offices in New York and yes. Singapore, I think, so and that, London. That story was um, we had Sydney. Melbourne and New York, yeah. and there's another company called Squeaky Clean in, in the States who were, I guess, competition at the time, but they, the producers had um, they were friends from each company, and they got talking, and they thought, my gosh, you, you guys would be perfect for us, and you guys do this, and it'd be amazing to be able to add that, so we had this perfect merger um, that we, we joined together without any redundancy at all. And we, you know, we, we got Chicago, Los Angeles and a bit of Texas as well. So thrown into it and we're now this bigger family all doing the same thing. And we're all working together. We work on American jobs every day here in, in Australia and vice versa. In Sydney, we're probably doing about 50 to 70 different products a month. Mm. Melbourne will be doing. 30 and then yeah so it's quite a bit and your your role is your uh co-executive i'm the creative executive executive aren't you a founder as well so my my new business partner is um you're a founder as well as the executive creative director yes i'm the founder of it's very humble of you to say just executive creative director (laughs) <laughs> I don't like naming. Yeah. Um, but I'm a new business partner, Sam Spiegel. So his he's from the Spiegel family of in the States. They used to have this um, um, magazine that was um, like a catalogue, and they used to, used to have a, yeah. they became famous for that. But Sam's brother is Spike Jones. Oh wow! The director. The director. So gee whiz. We we okay, we are lucky one, enough to yeah. to. Well, six degrees of separation. We're a few Spike. degrees closer, aren't we? <laughs> so Work Spike, with Spike. Wow. Yeah, well, Sam does all his soundtracks for his ads. So on our reel, you would have noticed some of the Spike's ads on our reel. Um, so that's amazing privilege. We've, it's been an amazing, you know, collaboration there between the, the two companies and that. So yeah, Sam's, Sam's awesome. And yeah, there's, there's four partners total, but yeah, I'm the, I'm probably the, the main, um, yeah, um, but yeah, it's, that's that's been an amazing opportunity, and it's keeping me very busy as well. Like during COVID, we were probably busier um, because of messaging. Clients need to change their messaging. All their ads they've made in the last six months or a year just make no sense now because of what's going on in the world. And all of America is still at home. Um, Sydney's back. Melbourne's back. Um, but I was the only one with James here in the Sydney that was still working in the studio during COVID time. Everybody else was remote and we had the whole company was on the cloud which we yeah i was going to ask about how that affected you technologically and that some of the tools and processes so that we have one project in one place that we can hop on in new york or we can hop on in la because we work together as a team all the time it's always in one place and it's all accessible anywhere in the world so that's been that was a bit of a lifesaver for us because we had that all set up before covid and then coming out of covid we've now sort of added that extra arm now where most of our sessions still are zoomed in by clients or creators who can't come into the session but you know, we, we link them in. So we've got technology now that links everything together, high quality sound. You can be anywhere in the world on your phone and be part of that session. 
and you can see the voiceover artists on your phone and you can chat to them and talk to them. That's really good. Like the innovation, I'm not going to use the word pivot, but the I love that, technology. Yeah, no, you do. <laughs> and it's funny how quickly um, all those things that were in the back of our minds, you know, what do they say? Form follows function and, you know, a necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how quickly like an event like COVID can really bring those things online yeah. because, you know, well, businesses stay have, have to stay open. We've got salaries to pay. Right? I wonder about how, how do we link people into our sessions, but yeah. because people were forced to, it mm. created this whole new arm for us. Even the acceptance within agencies like your clients, you know, you'd much rather come in to a session because you want to get out of the you know, the agency, you want to yeah, get into yeah. the studio and everything else, yeah. even though you probably don't have the time to do that because you're working on 15 other things. Yes. Now you can just go, bang, I can just link you in. Thank we can you. just do it. We've got an hour block. Yeah. Saves your time, saves their time, you know. Yeah. The opportunities have grown exponentially. Well. Pretty yeah. much all our sessions, we're linking clients and even even that process is much better now because the client can hear it straight away. They can add their feedback and we can do it on the spot and then they approve. So beyond Squeaky Clean and your side projects that we spoke about earlier, it seems like you've how got a, <laughs> I know. And, and how do you manage the, the, the work-life balance? It's a question I ask all my guests because I'm genuinely interested. It is hard. I mean, I am an active relaxer, so after work, I'm sitting at home on the couch. I'm probably watching TV, but I've also got my laptop open, just pottering away, editing or doing some photo editing, whatever. So I, I do like to have those sort of projects. It's funny, isn't it? Because it, it, I, I am naturally busy during the day anyway, and then to busy up my life around squeaky clean as well is a little bit crazy. Um, um, it, it, it can take its toll on me, um, but I guess I'm immersing myself into projects that are my hobby and my passion and my love. So... Um, I think anybody who likes to read a book or wants to do things, you know, to immerse themselves away from sometimes their day job or or noise around them, um, that's my thing. It just happens to be photography and editing. I mean, the thing is my photography now and is becoming a bit more than just a hobby. So I'm trying to find what that balance is, you know. And the great thing is now with, with the merge of a squeaky, we are getting to a size now where I can go away for two weeks. I can go and film for two weeks. And I know that the company can still run fine. And, you know, it allows me to go and do those things. How do you separate yourself? It's this perennial uh, question where obviously you're a creative and you're a very good one at that. And uh, I'm not sure how on the tools you are these days, but how do you separate the running of the business to doing the creative. There's a, a time period between 3 and 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes you can wake up and your brain's just spinning. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> My particular role is looking after clients in the room and they book out a period of time. So between 9 and 12, I'm working on, say, Ample. All my creative juices are working at that time and that yeah. point for that for that job 120%. I'm trying to eliminate too much clutter and stuff in my life yeah, sure. so that I can concentrate and not be stressed about so much other stuff. But I'm just trying to reduce down all the time. I've got a lot on my plate all the time, but I'm trying to reduce a lot of the extra noise that I don't need within that and simplify things. How do you do that? What are some practical ways for people? Oh, like for me... Like people say, oh, you should be listening to podcasts in the car on the way to work and learning all this. But no, I have that, I have that quiet time in the car. Yeah. Or I listen to music just purely just to relax me and just calm me down. I go for, I love going for my runs. So I love going off for one or two hours, Saturday and Sunday, three o'clock till five. I'm just going for a run up the, you know, the, 
the um, eastern beaches there. And I love that. That's that's my moment of getting out of the noise and just getting to the coast, getting some salt through my nose, um, jumping in the water, that kind of thing. So I do that. I, I try and go to a cafe lately because we're not traveling so much almost every morning with my wife. So we have oh, that nice, nice yeah. hour, hour and a half before work, sitting in the sun, having a coffee. And that's, that's another time for me that is precious. So I don't have young babies or kids anymore. So um, my kids are over 20. So I don't have that. That sort of um, commitment, yeah. You know, I do. I've got 20-year-olds and a, a young baby, a young yeah, two-year-old yeah. I've gone. Yeah. So I've bookended it somehow and in my mid-40s. Um. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Oh, oh, Siri. <laughs> Siri, technology. You are a tech guy. We just talked. <laughs> but um, speaking of the things that you do like watching, I mean, when you are watching things and you're not spending beautiful moments with your family and your wife and having coffee and going for walks and not listening podcasts, what would be some of the books or music or um, films that you're watching at the moment that have really inspired you? I mean, is there anything out there that you're yeah, loving? I don't moment? read enough books. Oh, <laughs> well, that's cool. I've got all these books sitting beside my bed, but yeah. I find when I hop into bed at night, I'm, I, 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 I can't keep my eyes open. Who are your favourite producers? Your, your, like if you asked me, what, what would the soundtrack to your life be? Because for me, it would be like Cliff Martinez, Martinez's Drive soundtrack, which yeah, I absolutely yeah. love, yeah, combined crazy. with um, maybe uh, like, you know, Terrence Malick's, to any of this, Terrence, like you from Mozart to... Send songs to you know uh, the Carnival of Animals to the yeah. aquarium meets maybe D'Angelo and a bit of Marvin Gaye mixed in yeah. and and I kind of love all that sort of operatic cinematic meets a bit of yes. grindy soul and the Doobie Brothers where that'd be my soundtrack. <laughs> what would your soundtrack to your life? Probably in my eighties, <laughs> 80s music. There, there was music that really influenced my life as being a teenager and. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I yeah. still listen to some of the 80s. No, but it is. But um, it wasn't Slice of Heaven. Slice of Heaven, yeah. <laughs> I just, I guess I'm having a, a love for all styles of music. This this is the thing, right? I, the record I'll probably put on at home, I say record because we've got a record player now and put some records on. But even like, I'm, I'm loving Bon Iver. That, that influences a lot for me. I grew up, you know, oh gosh, here I grew up with, you know, things like, I guess Peter Gabriel, you know, and I guess because he explored a lot of cultural music and real world records that he had. So that I was into that. I loved African music as well, funny enough, right? All sorts of music. And the things is like every project that I'm doing, I'm always exploring what is that soundtrack and what is that what is the instruments that I want to have connected to my storytelling. And like for Sartel's Belight. Some of the music there that really um, moved me was Lisa Gerard, um, some of her music, because it's quite thick and really. Mm. When you say oh, thick, what do you heavy. mean by thick? Oh, you mean like just, emotionally just yeah, significant, weighted, weighted. Right. Yeah, and I remember yeah. like some um, Baraka, they had one of her tracks on that. We were lucky enough to have Lisa Gerard sing on Tales by Light. So we reached out to her. She lives in Melbourne. And she was amazing. She did it for nothing. She said, I want to be part of this project because of what the stories are with, with child labor. And she sang on about three or four cues throughout our whole Bangladesh piece and, and you know, Bolivia as well. How great is that to have? Because yeah. her music was um, moving for me on Gladiator. 
Um, so she, her voice was the the vocal on the movie Gladiator right? of Russell Crowe. I oh, see. I, I part of my ignorance. I wasn't aware. No, that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So listen to and what a fantastic soundtrack and the sound design in that. So is- Hans Zimmer loves yeah. using Lisa Gerrard. So Hans Zimmer uses her a lot. Um, and she tours with him and he does his um, concerts with he, before COVID. I think music's really, really important in storytelling. It can really emotionally drive your viewer into the space that you want them to be. How can we get people to think about sound in, in this social environment where we're quick scrolling through things? Yeah, it's always taken a, a second sort of place, I guess, with with, with um, content, looking at say Instagram, I quite often have the speaker muted, um, probably because I'm flicking through on the couch or maybe in bed, you know, at night, whatever. But I think like, I I don't follow TikTok, yeah. but maybe TikTok is demonstrating a bit more of dance. That's a really good point. And those kind that's of, a really good point. Yeah. So it, it yeah. could be the platforms that we we watch. When you're watching content or documentary or more long form, you do need the sound on because you want to hear the stories. Mm-hmm. You want to hear the music. Would you say long form it's, is better suited to? I don't. I don't think so because you could have a a commercial playing on a TV and you could be in another room, not watching TV, but you can hear it. Yeah. And when you can hear it, what is that song? What is that music? What is that riff? What is that melody? That is a hook. If you get the right music track, you can get a big audience to to like that music track, Absolutely. and they can then associate that track to a brand or advertising. Um, and you know, advertisers pay big money for those tracks, yeah. so that they can ride on that good feeling of what that music can do yeah. and add to their brand. Music's very subjective. Yeah. Like we'll have instances where we'll have people in a room and we'll play a track. One person will go, oh my gosh, that is the best music track. It's just unbelievable. And somebody else will say, I hate that piece of music because it reminds me of this and this and this or whatever. So it's it's a very subjective thing. So it's it's actually a hard job finding the right music track to associate a brand to. With a brand, do you have like a, a set of some rules of thumb, Doc, not to say you're going to flick through the brand uh, guidelines document, look for the the values and the brand attributes and the personas or anything else, but how do you capture the brand's essence through audio is my yeah. question. Yeah. Well, I think that's giving them an opportunity to listen to some styles of music and different types of music and um, allowing them to have the opportunity to, to – compose a track where we compose music as well when they go we just don't want to use that track because everybody else is using it and we want to have our own special track for ourselves so we've got a whole team of composers that are sitting in a room all day long with guitars and pianos creating music and getting paid for it yeah i mean what a cool job right yeah yeah, absolutely. (laughs) so you know creating a cool hook or something unique and special for them that they can attach themselves to but it's um, also a client understanding what a music track can actually do for their brand as well. Without they might not have thought about that. They might go, "Oh my gosh, you know, I love that sound of what that that track is doing, and it makes me yeah. happy." Yeah, totally. <laughs> kind of well, I mean, it goes back to that thing. Like, if your brand is all about okay, let's call it flowerpots dot com, their promise to their audience is making growing flowers simple. 
right? And you do it at home, you order them online, you get a whole bunch of home-delivered flower seeds, sunflower seeds, and you can grow them in a really sustainable way. And it's really, really simple. And that's the brief to you guys, right? How do we reflect what we're promising our audience and our market with our product and our brand? And I'm sure the listeners can start building a picture of the sort of sounds that they will be. Yeah. yeah, and it's this simple, beautiful, light, bright track. So we, we have a team of composers, and we'll put that brief out to those composers. Mm-hmm. Come up at the end of today with a track, which has got this genre, these instruments, it needs to be this kind of fun, it's for this brand. And at the end of the day, we'll have six, eight, three tracks that are demos. Yeah, We present it to the client, client goes, oh my gosh, None of those work at all. Go again. Or they might go, hey, we like number three. Let's hear some options of that. Or they go, we just love three. We just want to use that. Done. Thank you so much. Here's our check. So that's kind of the process we do. We've got music producers who work with the client, get an understanding of the brief, brief it to the composers who who probably don't can't read but they can play really well on the guitar yeah. you know <laughs> these guys live live music live music yeah i and mean like uh, toyota you mentioned toyota oh what a feeling i love the way that those notes have never haven't really changed since the inception of that little yeah. jingle um i love the way it's been um it has evolved with time and uh, would you say that would be one of your if you were to compose uh, and i know you have is that quite rewarding, just seeing the longevity of an audio uh, mnemonic or a brand? It is an audio or a sonic brand code that endures. What's becoming popular now is is sonic branding for clients. We've got a, a guy at Berkeley College in the States who's like his professor on musicology, right? And he he works with us and gives an understanding of how music works, you know, and understand what sonic branding is going to do for their brand. And then we we break it down. We go, this is the melody. Da, 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 da. And then from that we go, okay, you might be doing retail ads. You might be doing brand ads. We can do that melody with an orchestra. We can do that melody with a acoustic guitar doing a summer breeze kind of style music track. Or we can do this. So we, we will show them a whole lot of variations and genres that they can use there. Would you say the sonic branding would also apply to experiences of some of the other brand touch points, whether they be online or in video form and others in actual physical forms? Like you might walk into the store and you might hear a similar track to what you've seen in the ad. It might not be the track, but it uses a similar tone approach yeah, style. Um, style. A guy I work with used to work at Telstra, and I think in their building they play an extended version of their Telstra jingle and it's used in really interesting ways like it's a variation for the lift music yeah. and they're um, at the start of their meetings they when people are just milling yeah. into the it's rooms playing, it's yeah. playing in the background and yeah. it's and it's not just for an external uh, branding piece it's more to encourage the living and breathing of the brand right. values and principles yes. within internal well it's a layer right yeah so yeah. you can do a layer with the the logo design a layer of the visuals and the messaging and a layer with the sound that you listen to. Again, going back to using your ears, yeah. eyes and, yeah. and that, right, and your voice. Yeah. And um, so it's an opportunity for us to use that layer. Marketers who aren't paying attention to sound or aren't listening to sound <laughs> as a medium to convey their brand essence. I like the idea that you could be in another room 
or have the TV, you know, not looking at the TV, but you can still hear the sound. So that's actually added more value to getting your brand out. Absolutely. What would you say to someone who wanted to get into the industry? I mean, it is quite a, advertising generally is quite hard to get into. It's hard to get your foot in the door, especially when you're working in a niche area um, within it, like yourself. I mean, what what would you say to people out there in college, university and so on, TAFEs and whatnot, or those who may be self-taught? How would they even begin to look for getting a job in the industry? Yeah, I've got a nephew who's done a sound course and it's, I'm trying to find a job for him. It's it's hard. You know, there's, there's only for, for what we do in our industry to do commercials, there's only a few, a handful of us. So that opportunity for um, positions to come available is rare. Um, and I guess I, my staff have been around for a few years, so those um, opportunities don't come up so much. But I believe that with sound and music, music can be a hobby as well, as well as a day job. And to keep, you know, composing, if you're into music, compose in your spare time, create songs, you know, collaborate with other artists or friends who are like-minded and create songs together, start producing work together. And what you will find is down the track, somebody will suddenly hear your song that you've been creating. I guess it's like the more you do, the more opportunities it is to be heard. And also, if you're really passionate about it, I, when I was about 24, I did an album for myself, just purely, you know, just for fun to try and experiment. Yeah. But I was up all in the studios all night, all weekends, had all my friends in there playing guitars on it. What a cool journey that was. And just for me, it taught me so much. It taught me how to put a song together. It taught me about lyrics and it taught me about song structure and instrumentation and everything, right? So if you can immerse yourself into your hobby, like me with photography, obviously with sound all my life, you're going to hopefully get good at it. And all you need is if you've got people around you who are creatives or people who have similar um, passions, they will discover you and then doors can open. It's like with me with, say, David Nobe and and UNICEF. That door opened and suddenly, suddenly, um, you know, I'm doing all this other stuff, you know, my, my passion, my hobby, um, work is becoming a big part of my life. Big part of your life, you yeah. Know? I think if you're waiting, then is there an opportunity for, to go and go to film school, you know, go to music college, just keep learning, learning, and in any spare time you got, understand your equipment that you use so it becomes an extension of who you are rather than, you know, Where's the power cable? Where's, you know, how do I turn this thing on? You don't want those things to get in the way of your creativity and just create, create, create. And you'll find the more you do, the more you learn. The more you learn, the more opportunities that people will see it. And then you'll be surprised that doors will clearly open, you know. So it's just keeping at it, right? That's really good advice. How would you distill all that down? I mean, we've talked about these these themes of empathy and diversity and listening and watching and, you know, um, <laughs> two eyes, two ears, one mouth and using things in that ratio. Um, how could you distill all of that into a little bite of wisdom? If that could be a sound bite, <laughs> you had one go at it, one sentence, one take. How would you distill it? You've got 10 words. It's like a haiku poem. What would it be? <laughs> I, I've got this one line that my wife keeps um 
laughing about, but I say it and I mention it because it is quite me. Of, of all the of all the roads that you take in life, make sure someone's in the dirt. That's so good. <laughs> and that's so relevant to your experience. You're off the beaten track and you're finding these really rich and wonderful stories of humanity and yeah. you're telling them through yeah. and with your dirt bike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Simon Lister, thank you so much for your time, man. I mean, so this welcome. has been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I wish I could stay a bit longer. I really do. <laughs> I, I just want to jam on one of your guitars. I'm a, I'm a, a really bad strummer. I can only play major chords. Uh, and I, I, I can leave you in this room with all these guitars and, and literally. I probably, yeah, I probably ruin a few of them. I'll um, probably record it. In fact, oh my goodness, you don't want to do that. It's horrible. No, uh, but yeah, great. thank you so much. And thanks, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for having me in Squeaky Clean. Before we do go though, where can people find out more about you? I'm sure we can Google Squeaky Clean Studios. Squeaky Clean. Yeah. .com. And we're, we're spelt with an E, not a Y on Squeaky. Sure. So squeakyclean.com. Where um, can people find your um, work with Netflix as well as UNICEF and yeah, some of the I guess I've got a website projects. simonlisterphotography.com. And I've got an Instagram account, which is probably where I'm most active on my Instagram at the moment, which is Cy Lister, S-C-I-L-I-S-T-A, Cy Lister. Or we'll just put Simon Lister in there and that will come up. And that's got a lot of my work on, um, on of the films I've done, IGTV and stuff like that. The film Tales by Light is on Netflix. Just You can type in Tales by Light. It's season three, episodes one and two. But you might want to watch the other episodes as well because the other amazing photographers from around the world, you know, all from all walks of life. Simon, it's been fantastic, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks again. And uh, all the best. Let's keep in touch. Great. Thank you. Cheers. I hate saying another amazing photographer. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Ah, oh, man. That's <laughs> all good. <laughs> Fantastic. That was great. If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at B-Side Podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me. And I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening. And until next episode, cheers. Cheers.